0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Inking Out Loud podcast. Once again, this will be episode 18. Eight, I yeah. want to say I'm starting to lose
1: track. My name is Rob Santos. And I'm Drew McCaffrey.
2: And I am Meg McCaffrey. We yeah. have a
1: special Welcome guest you. here today. Meg has been uh, reading Warbreaker for the very first time. and Yes. Uh, Rob and I are, are veterans. Rob a little more so than me.
0: but We're old hands. Yeah. I've read it a few more times, but Drew's a little smarter than I am. So well, <laughs> we should balance each other out nicely. Um, is uh, what exactly are we going to be starting off with? Because we have so much to talk about today, especially uh, yeah. with the end of this book and how much happens. Um, oh, by the way, like clearly we will be spoiling the events in Brandon Sanderson's Warbreaker pretty heavily. We'll be discussing them at length, everything that happens in the book, including a, a, a few annotations. I went through and read uh, a lot of the annotations from Brandon as well. Mm-hmm. But um, for those who have not read the other... Uh, wider Cosmere by Brandon Sanderson. We won't be discussing too much outside of this particular shard world, as it'll be referred to. Um, I believe, Meg, you've only read uh, the Stormlight Archive book one, right? Correct. Am I uh, understanding that correctly? Okay, good. Um, so we, we, we can touch a little bit into the Stormlight Archive here and there with our Cosmere connections, but for the most part, this will be a pretty Cosmere wide, spoiler free zone. <laughs> yes. For this episode specifically. Yes. yes. Um, is there anything you want to uh, get out of the way first? We have a few uh, things that we like to do now, like uh, reactions, in-depth discussions about individual characters. I really, I have to admit, I started pre-drinking a little bit first, so <laughs> I'm not quite sure exactly where we're going to start today. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's dive into it. So I, Warbreaker, we've finished
1: it. I think we should kick off with Vivenna, personally. Uh, sure, sure. She that really is solid uh, starting the point. main thrust of the second half of this book, is all yeah. about Vivenna and Vasher. Whereas Absolutely. Light Song and Siri, I mean, they have their roles, but they were much more involved in the setup of this book. Yeah. Uh, and and when we get to Ciri in a little bit, I have something specifically to say there. But Vivenna is is a particularly active, dynamic character. She changes yeah. a lot during the second half of this book. Mm-hmm. We you know we see it basically kicks off where we left off uh, with her getting kidnapped by Basher is like one of the first things. Uh, in the yeah. second second half here, and then she escapes and realizes it may not have been all that much of an escape. As she no, uh, it wasn't discovers <laughs> Denth and Tongfa and Jules and their duplicity. Yeah. So yeah,
2: yeah that that scene know. for me, I it really, really did not see Denth's betrayal coming. Um,
0: no, eh? he's and, so jovial. He's so.
2: Yeah, he's you know and I mean, I mean it, what what got me was that I was so annoyed by his humor, but really? you know, like, I was I was putting up with his humor because it it was just the sort of the same line over and over again. You know, you know like the about thing about mercenaries, mercenaries. <laughs>
3: yeah. and it
2: just I was getting sick of it, and I was really kind of hoping that I wasn't going to have to listen to it for the rest of the book. And you know what, Sanderson. Thank you yeah. for so,
1: that. I, wish, yeah. I have a question actually about the the thing about mercenary or the worst thing about mercenaries is how did you feel Meg about that delivery of that line not in a humorous setting as that reveal unfolded
2: it for, for me it was terrifying like yeah, it, it in was that, that whole scene moment. was for me the height of Avena's terror um more so than getting kidnapped really i think more than anything else that she experiences that that re- those realizations of what was actually happening who she was really there with um yeah realizing her friend was dead seeing like the corpses of of, of Tonk Fah's animals oh yeah
0: that was Oh a little...
2: it was just so it was so scary um i remember and and Oh, then, it was it for for me. It was actually chilling. I I kind of yeah. I froze up as a reader a little bit. Like I don't know what I would have done in that Stop situation. That. The oh. fact that she was <laughs> able to think of anything at all is is to me a really great turning point for her, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the the beginning of who she becomes towards the end. But. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Yeah, it oh.
0: was definitely an eerie kind of chill. Like you said, chilling—that's the word, exact word I would have used. As soon as tonk fa, or tonk fa Dent comes out with that line, you know what I hate most about being a mercenary, and you realize that all is not exactly what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. That—that's kind of—that's a very, very real moment. And I—I I forgot, uh, like, until I had reread it, just how eerie it was like vivenda at this point she just can't get a break i mean there's this strange guy that's been following her through the city he's he's you know he's all dressed up like a hobo he's got just (laughs) raggedy clothes he's got the beard you know she can sense him looking at her even though he doesn't she doesn't know he's there to Mm -hmm. begin with he's got this creepy talking sword you know and now after she gets kidnapped by this man she finally manages to escape thinking okay she's escaped death or worse Mm -hmm. and she just falls right back into the clutches of this mercenary gang who has, since she has gone, revealed their true colors. Because, yeah. I mean, right. they assumed Parlin knew where she went. Right. And yeah. that's, right? And poor Parlin. And I read during the no- oh. the uh, annotations, oh, yeah. Brandon really hated what he had to do to Parlin. Like, he wanted to flesh him out as a character, apparently, a little bit more. There just wasn't a whole lot of room
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: in this narrative to explore that character a bit more. Parlin is a character who really just kind of got, you know, the greasy end of the stick all around. Poor oh,
3: guy.
0: yeah. And, uh... It, what i found creepiest specifically while we're still on this scene about uh well i say about this scene actually was Tonkfa he had a he had a very specific line um and i'm just suddenly drawing a blank on it oh my god i'm brain farting right now well, i think it was something about the rope and how a rope
1: can be used to burn flesh Oh, that's later. a little later oh, on later.
3: it's a
0: little later
1: on is it a little later yeah, on it's, it's when okay. uh, when vivena like gets into the room to rescue vasher and oh.
2: it goes not great. Yes.
1: No, I'm sorry, I just remembered what that what it was. Tonk
0: Fa was involved, but it was still a line from Denth, and he was apologizing to Vivenna saying that Parlin's death was actually an accident. Yeah. Oh yeah, things and got a little like, out of hand. He was tortured to death. He was yeah. got things got a little out of hand. You mean to tell me that was an accident? Yeah. But according to the annotations it actually was, Denth wasn't present and he was really pissed off at Tonk Fa when he got back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and saw that Tonk Fa had taken it a little too far. Um
2: I should- well, so well, I think that one of the the great things about Dent as a character is that you realize how evil he is because there's that conflict. This this man who is so humorous uh, mm-hmm. and so friendly and has been taking care of Avena, or she thinks she's been taken care of by him. <laughs> yes. And and he he's you know saying that he hates being a mercenary and things get out of hand, and he repeats these kinds of lines, but yet he still does these horrible things. Mm-hmm, which yeah. is an interesting, I think, um, juxtaposition with Basher, who is not good with words, as, yeah. he's, as he says. Like, he he doesn't say the right thing, he barely says anything at all yeah. when he's put like, on the spot like that. But Basher. he seems to have a much more coherent... Character a much more coherent moral compass than Death, who is conflicted to
1: an extent, though because Vasher does have a couple of scenes talking with Nightblood, where Nightblood points out the kind of hypocrisy in Vasher's actions, like when when Vasher breaks into the palace, into Mm -hmm. the God King's palace, and he like chokes the girl out, and Vasher's or Nightblood's like, you don't want to do any of this violent stuff, but then you're just fine with choking this girl out with an awakened rope, like. What and like, and yeah. like yeah I know I don't get it either, and
2: <laughs> yeah there is that <laughs> yeah. scene,
1: but but cool. so going back to uh, that reveal with Vivenna and and Tong Fa and Denth, and that specific line where where Denth has this catchphrase, and then Brandon takes the catchphrase and and repeats it but in completely different circumstances mm-hmm. and in a completely different tone, and it's this really like subtle but at the same time heavy handed. Uh, literary device mm-hmm. where Brandon in a lot of ways Brandon is not necessarily the most subtle writer especially when it comes to <laughs> his agree, humor I agree with that and yeah. and that line is a really good example this repeated hit you over the head you know what I hate about mercenary you know, oh I love that line. I love, but, that line I mean, I so so love like, on that line I guess it's like it's very direct unsubtle humor but then yeah. it's twisted in this subtle way to make it terrifying and he handles yeah. that really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because up to this point, you're used to getting
0: a little ha when you read that line, or if you're not a big fan, you're just like, oh yeah, roll your eyes it. a little. But at this point, it's a, you're right; it's the exact same words presented in a totally different way, mm-hmm. and that in itself, because that that kind of pseudo familiarity you have, but then yeah. you, you you're seeing these true colors kind of bleed out from if you'll pardon the expression I throw in you see what happens with his real with, with who he really is, and you're like, oh. no especially just after she got attacked by well attacked kidnapped by vasher this poor girl she has come completely around from where she started she ends this narrative as a completely different person uh compared to the person who actually i have a i've written down a note here uh specifically with uh some of the quote from her point of view she has completely turned 180 on her character here um let's see here i have so many notes to go through by the way today holy crap
1: well, so wh- while you're looking that up, uh, I did want to kind of go into that uh, that sort of character arc that she has, where it's easy to say that her discovery of you know the, the terrifying truth about Denth and his mercenaries is sort of her low point. It's it's where she hits rock bottom and, and right. her you know moment of uh, um moment of decision, so to speak. Is, is right there, that she needs to change as a person, or she's done.
3: And that's yeah. true.
1: But Brandon does something that I've only seen a couple of other authors do, and he he takes that where she has this horrible low point where she needs to act and choose in order to grow, and then he immediately throws her even lower. Yeah, She made this choice, and then she has to suffer the consequences of this choice immediately yeah yeah right away and and she almost dies because of it in mm-hmm. a couple of different ways and i really yeah. think that's the low point when she's getting sold out by the beggar and vasher comes and saves her
0: yeah and she just um,
1: loses the will to fight back she's just like all right yeah you know she's whatever. sick she's dying she's starving she's yeah. beaten yeah. bloody and dirty and and then that first scene with vasher when she wakes up, you know, a week later, she's, she's basically been in a coma. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and that first scene is really the new Vavenna. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. You know,
0: it's, yeah. it's more than I just, oh, she, she
1: gets the new clothes notes. and, but it's the first time that she has an opportunity to act on the decisions she made in that basement with Denton mm-hmm. and Tangfa. She yeah. doesn't have any agency when she's a beggar on the streets. This scene, when she wakes up, is the first time she regains her agency.
0: See, I would argue that that point was right when she decided to commit the ultimate blasphemy, and she decided to invest all of her breaths into her cloak or her scarf. I think it was a uh, uh, it was shawl. a piece of cloth, regardless. Yeah, her shawl. Thank you, and uh, like, cause she had spent the entire book up to this point. Arguing how much of a blasphemy that was, mm-hmm. and how how against the the you know the her religion it is, and she finally decides to become a drab after having talked to Jules about be about being a drab and and about how unfair it was whatever was done to her as a child. Um, she decided to like become a drab, and I think for me at least that was the pivotal moment where she started to change
3: uh, who so she was. I don't know if her. I can
1: agree with that because she makes. Uh, she makes a choice earlier during the riot to to try to awaken. Oh, okay. Fair so enough. I what, actually really, what really about is that. going on? She, yeah. she goes through kind of three steps on this journey toward becoming an awakener. There's the first one she, where she tries and fails, and she gets saved by Claude. Mm-hmm. The second one where she chooses to make herself a drab. And the third one when she regains her agency and she says, I'm going to learn this. And she yep. goes out and she's practicing. Like, uh, with the rope on the tree, and Vashil yeah, comes along tree, yeah. and, like... You know, starts helping her out. Yeah, that's and...
0: a very good point. I hadn't uh, remembered those other two moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well,
2: there there are a couple of other moments, though. Yeah, because, she has Denth. Like, she asks yeah. Denth to teach her, but then also when she's confronted by Denth, she awakens Tonk Fa's cloak. She doesn't get to use yeah. that breath right away. It ends up becoming useful to her later, but yeah, she yeah, yeah. does that. I love that. But I like that there's more than one moment, because characters that have one pivotal moment... That changes everything they believe are mm-hmm. it's not believable to me and yeah. that's one of the things i loved about vavana is because i did not like her for the first half of the book um mm, right. i i, I, I really didn't, I didn't because she was really vain she mm-hmm. is
0: she definitely was on a high horse wasn't she
2: yeah and she's totally reliant on other people to help her through mm-hmm. this, which is one of the reasons why Dent is so easily able to play her. Um, and she's not grateful.
3: She's no, not yeah, even really right. grateful to right. them
2: for their help. She's like, well, I'm paying you. And, like, even though there's a kind of friendship there, it, they're still kind of her servants. You know, she's Or still, she at
1: least acts like they're her servants. Yeah, yeah. she still considers yeah.
2: herself, in a way, their princess, even though yeah. they're not Idrian. um Yeah. But I like that there are these different moments because all of the things that she realizes, how much she's hated all of these people, Mm -hmm. how little agency she's had in her life, she starts bit by bit to to get that back for herself. Um, And I think it actually, um, the, the moment when I think she becomes truly herself is when she decides to go find Vasher.
3: Yes, Which, yes, like, that's going to be. She spent yeah. the
2: whole night worrying about him. Like she, she's become attached to this person, mm-hmm. even though he's not, you know, exactly a yeah. knight in shining armor. Um, right. Uh, but she's decided to go find him. That's and, exactly and, what I had written down and here. And confront the fact that Who she knows might what? fail.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I had written down originally that the point at which she had really started started to change into who she was for me was when she decided to commit the blasphemy of becoming a drab. Mm-hmm. But the moment for me when she solidified who she was going to be was the moment I have written down here, and that's the moment that you just brought up. When she made that conscious decision, Vasher's not home yet, or he's not back yet, I'm going to go find him, and I'm going to face whatever comes. And that for mm-hmm. me was the moment where she chose the path, that she mm-hmm. was gonna walk down and become the woman that she eventually became.
1: Yeah, and, and there's there's another wrinkle to it, and I I have the quote here where okay, it's please. not not only that she starts to that, that she chooses to act, but she overcomes something and she says, you know, something had gone wrong. She slowed as she pulled on her belt, glancing over at Vashra's pack and the change of clothing he had inside of it. Every single thing I've tried since I left Idris has failed miserably, she thought, continuing to dress. I failed as a revolutionary, I failed as a beggar, and I failed as a sister. What am I supposed to do? Find him? I don't even know where to start. And and she she goes on it. For a while, failure wasn't something she'd been accustomed to back in Idris. Everything she'd done there had turned out well. But then she goes on and, and considers... But Holandrin Hal- had repeatedly proved that she was flawed now that she tried and failed so often, she found it hard to act. By choosing to act, she might fail. And that was so daunting that doing nothing seemed preferable. But yet, then she says, you want to be competent, she thought. You want to learn to be in control of what goes on around you, rather than just being pushed around? Then you'll have to learn to deal with failure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, she... How old is Vivenna? She's supposed to be twenty-two, 22 something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a remarkably mature thought for a twenty-two-year-old. But then again, she, you know, if you look mm-hmm. at her upbringing, I suppose it's not too surprising. Um, on the on the last uh, my last note about Vivenna um, was actually I, I found what I was looking for earlier. It's actually from the epilogue, and it's a quote from the book itself, from her point of view. Mm-hmm. It says, and it's just like a it's um it's a testament to how much she's changed as a character. Um, the quote is: Princess Vivenna was dead. She she had died on the streets of Teteelor. Vivenna, the Awakener, had no desire to bring her back. It shows that even in her own head, she sees the woman that left Idris as a completely separate woman mm-hmm. yeah. to who she is now.
2: Well, and I, that's... I also love that line because it's to me it's a sort of play on words that she's an Awakener now and she wants to leave her old self dead. She doesn't want yeah. to reawaken her old yeah. self. Yeah. Um, i i just really like i i liked that he used those words and
1: and i i have one more thing to add with venom before we move on and it's it's just a a piece of trivia for anybody who you know maybe hasn't read the stormlight archive yet or hasn't read white sand or mistborn or, or elantris or the rest of the cosmere um she wears blue clothes Just
0: floating that one out there. You know what that was like? That was like those curlers. You see doing like the Olympics where they're, just, they're going in there and they're they're sweeping in front and they just kind of let it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right there. I stole that one from Bill Burr. I can't take that joke, <laughs> uh, joke entirely. But, but anyway, let's uh, move on yeah, to Siri. Yeah, that was good. Let's move on to Siri. Okay, Siri. Siri. The, uh, the, the, the sister I had originally liked more until I actually gave this book a, a much more in-depth uh, mm-hmm. look. No, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying that. I yeah. just wanted to share sure, that out. Mate, there. I liked why don't you her original a little, little more.
2: Uh, well, personally, I empathized a little more with Siri. Uh, I found that our, our personalities were probably a little bit more compatible. Okay, um, okay, makes
3: sense. Uh,
2: but what I really liked is how she really becomes a pivotal player in her, even though she's completely ignorant of everything that's going on around her. Like, she's not a politically savvy person by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but she takes it upon herself to become responsible for her situation and for her relationship to Sesebron, yes. which I loved. I yeah, really, yeah. like, and, really... and that to me is one of the greatest things about this book is that how well Sanderson writes... How terrified she is at the beginning. Because at the beginning, the God King effectively is a monster. And we're all so scared for what's going to happen. Um, And I just love that he turns out to be this, like, lovely horribly awkward teddy bear like yeah. that was just great this As,
0: seven foot tall shredded jason momoa looking guy exactly, who's just a child exactly. at heart he's helpless he's a prisoner yeah that was one of the greatest sanderson twists i think i've ever read yeah uh that moment when you find out that he that he's actually he has no tongue he's helpless mm-hmm. he's a child for all intents and yeah. purposes your heart just bleeds for this poor guy yeah like, you just oh, oh my god Did I, and I so just wanted Siri to point out that I in. honestly think yeah. the relationship between Siri and Susebrin I think might be Sanderson's greatest romance
1: in all of his novels. Yeah. Uh, I think I... that that is very very arguable. Uh, mm-hmm. I I would I don't know if I would say I disagree with you. I think it's Well, that was a very
0: impulsive thing to say. I didn't give it any thought before this, but this is my impression, yeah.
1: yeah. I might be able to think of a. Better well, way. I I'm just saying if if there's anything that's going to rival it, to me it's and but oh shit. that's I had forgotten about that one yeah but that's a good one. But, but, but yeah Siri and, and Susebron uh the way he progresses that mm-hmm. they develop this trust and and develop love
3: right it
1: it it starts off as this you know sort of circling the bush uh-huh. and <laughs> and uh, uh and and they develop a not only a mutual respect but a mutual care for each other. And then they hit that point where he kisses her and she's just like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah,
2: well, "Uh this is only going to go one place. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Absolutely.
0: uh, Yeah. I loved every like every scene with Siri and Sue Severin was like, oh, yeah, sweet. A little more like I loved going back to their scenes. It was really enjoyable to read. Siri as a character, a lot more impulsive than her older sister. I mean, she was brought up that way. She wasn't the one that was particularly important. Right. Um, but of course by the end of the novel she, she really comes into her own and Vivenna has that moment on the rooftop when she's looking at her little sister mm-hmm. in this queen's garb and her, her regal setup and, her, and her, her demeanor and everything and she really like, like she reflects inside herself like wow maybe you know the, the, the right sister was sent after all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. So Can you imagine with- what a nightmare it would have been
1: if Viven- Vivenna was actually sent yeah.
3: yeah. With
1: series characters, so I, I do have one thing I, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about, and it was her character arc. So obviously she's an extraordinarily dynamic character. She changes <clears> a lot over the course of this story. But her conflict in this is entirely internal in terms of the results. When you think about like her external conflict is is this whole plan to save Sesebron and Mm -hmm. herself from the priests. And it's it's all a lie. It's immaterial. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have a concrete goal that she ever reaches. Right. No. And so anything that she did in this book that resulted in something substantial was internal for her. There was no, you know, action for her to carry out. The book ended... With her getting saved, she was literally a damsel in distress yeah, about to be and, tied and, down onto an altar and killed. Mm-hmm. And it, it's an interesting thing, though, that it doesn't feel like a damsel in distress story.
0: Yeah, that was something that that Brandon had addressed during the annotations as well. Oh, did he really? Was that he was he was very reluctant to make Siri a, a, a damsel in that particular scene, um, but he he did feel justified because a the plot needed it, but more importantly. Um, he said that he had spent a few books previously making Ellen, you know, the damsel in distress, sure. for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So he, he felt like okay, he could take an artistic liberty, and he uh, he just because of of how it played out and drew like you like he mentioned, he did manage to present it in such a manner that it didn't feel too much uh, yeah. like a, like a damsel in distress mm-hmm. kind of scene, even though technically I think it was. Um, yeah. There's not and much Siri
1: could have done. It's to, like to right, fight she, or defend she herself. She had anyway. agency throughout the book. Yeah. yeah. She just didn't put her agency in the right direction. Right? Yeah. And it and ended what, with her having that agency stripped away. And so, I think what Brandon had.
0: Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean. Well, to cut you off. and
1: and so it it results in this really neat switching where she has the agency throughout the book and yeah. loses it at the end and Sesebron doesn't have any agency throughout the book and gains it and at gains the end it. yeah mm-hmm.
0: absolutely that, like it was something that Brandon had also had said during that exact same annotation really <laughs> he had uh, oh sorry not not specifically about what you had just said um i was just uh harkening back to what i just mentioned earlier oh. in that the the, the way he the, the thing he tried in order to kind of not make it too much of a damsel in distress scene was the fact that that Siri managed to get under blue Finger's skin Mm-hmm. And that she managed to confront him with what he was doing, and she didn't manage to thwart his plans completely, but she managed to make him feel. Sorry, there's a fly here. I haven't seen one of those in about six months up here. Um, <laughs> she ma- like she managed to get under his skin and make him feel terrible for what he was doing, yeah. and kind of abandon his original plans. Like a lot of his original mm-hmm. plans didn't come to fruition, and you don't know that unless you actually dive deeper into the words of Brandon and what he had originally planned. Yeah. Uh, but Bluefinger, sorry, had originally planned. Um, and what took place instead. So, uh, Siri as a character, I liked her more because of how stone-hearted and cold Vivenna was for the first half of the book. Mm -hmm. But looking at their two characters, uh, just side by side, I gotta say that looking deeper into the book, I think Vivenna had a much more fulfilling character arc. And I actually liked her, this time around, quite a bit more. And it took... 10, 15 read-throughs for me to actually realize that. <laughs> it took a critical podcast read-through to, to realize Yeah, it, it did, because too. it took an official, formal, deep read-through while taking notes, is what it
1: took. Yeah. Well, and uh, so I, I want to talk about Siri and how she's, you know, in the first episode, I talked about specifically one chapter that I think Brandon did extraordinarily well, mm-hmm. where he he made Siri and Vivena mirrors of each other throughout the book.
3: Oh, yes, I have a point about this. But he
1: he made them mirrors of each other. And then in one chapter, in the span of that chapter where Siri leaves Idris and ends in Halandrin, and Vivenna is Mm -hmm. back in Idris, they start the chapter and they flip scenes back and forth. And as those scenes go along, they switch positions, right? It's where Siri's freaking out, going crazy, and Vivenna's normal, cold... Rational Vivenna and then by the end of it, Vavenna is freaking out and making impulsive decisions, and Siri is calming down and and yeah. and mm-hmm. analyzing her situation. And so, obviously, Siri and Vivenna are mirrors; they're foils for each other in this book. But to the point that I just made about Sesebron and and Siri, they are also foils for each other. Where they're mirrors, where Siri is the one who has the agency for most of the book and loses it at the end. Sesebron doesn't have agency and gains it at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah, I Warbreaker i I know this is a thing that Brandon did on purpose Warbreaker is very much a book of dualities. There are a lot of things going yes. on where there are clear opposites Two yeah. Yeah. things or two characters throughout the course of the book are are in opposition and generally change uh um, relative to each other They Mm -hmm. rarely stay the same. Everything changes over the course of this book, but the the dualities always change so they remain in opposition. Yeah. You know?
0: Uh, Again, on the subject of of the, the kind of inverse relationship uh, between the the, the the scenes with Siri and the scenes with Vivenna, there was a moment I wanted to bring up. It was chapter 39. It, it literally has Vivenna picking up rotting garbage out of the gutters mm-hmm. and oh, trying yeah. to keep it down as, and I quote, the only thing she'd had to eat in two days. Meanwhile, literally the next scene in mm-hmm. chapter 40 begins with the words, Siri was enjoying a meal on the court green when Trellidy yep. found her. <laughs> that, that blatant juxtaposition, that contrast, that black and white right there just hits so much harder when you, when you realize to look for it, when you mm-hmm. know to look for it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my god. He, he does this so well. And it's just a testament to how good this guy is at writing or maybe how young I was when I first started reading <laughs> him that even so many read-throughs later, you could still pick up on new things yeah. every mm-hmm. time.
2: Well, Every one of we'll the things fail. that I do like about Siri and why I like her character arc, even though it's not quite as dramatic as Vivenna's, is that sure. Siri is a good person because she loves to help people. She does. Like she yeah. enjoys that. She, like at the very beginning of the book, she enjoys her punishments of like having to do servant work and like talking to the cook. She likes to help people. And so it's because she wants to help Sesevron that she ends up being able to teach him how to read and they communicate and develop a relationship. Yeah. But Vivenna, and she realizes this herself, she doesn't want to help anybody. She wants to help herself. It's not about saving Mm -hmm. Siri, it's not about saving Idris. She has those moments. Getting her own value back. But Siri Mm -hmm. already understands the value of the people around her. So she adapts to Halondrid really quickly. And she and I think that's how she's able to get under Bluefinger's skin
3: mm-hmm.
2: because she she isn't blinded by any by a greater cause. She just loves people and wants everyone to live.
1: Although
0: amusingly that's
2: why she was
1: the right sister, I would I would argue.
2: Yeah.
1: Sorry, amusingly, I will say, regarding Siri's uh innate nurturing side, mm-hmm. she does talk about uh, Fafn, mm-hmm. the monk, and how all she does is go around and help people. And Siri's mm-hmm. like that would have killed me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, she's and she, I mean it, it. It's all about perspective. If
0: Siri yeah. sees value in what she's doing, and in this case, trying to save her homeland by becoming somebody with major influence in the Helondrin court, I mean, she. I, one can see how she would, you know, fit into that role a little better. But if it just comes to you know, what going around and helping the average person like, like Fafn who just, who just completely devotes her entire life to Auster and her mm-hmm. religion and helping individual people. I don't think Siri could have done something like that, but she's definitely that, that kind of in that Goldilocks zone, in that warm middle ground between Vivenna and Fafn, I think, um, which I think is why she was just so appropriate as a character for Brandon to place in this whole fish out of water setting in, in the Holandrin court. Yeah. Um, but we, we did briefly mention Blue Fingers there. Now that we've done thirty something minutes on Vivenna and Siri, you guys, yeah. you want to venture into uh, Blue Fingers and, and the other gods of the court and stuff like uh, that? We,
1: we can. We do really need to talk about Vasher, though.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Vasher's still one of the the main players. Let's get him out of the way first. He's so, more important.
1: Yeah. So Vasher. Um, <laughs> What's the, up, man? The, the first thing. Like let's start with Vasher's genesis. And this is where, uh, so Meg has read The Way of Kings. Um, when Brandon okay. Sanderson first wrote The Way of Kings, the version of it that the fandom now knows as Way of Kings Prime, mm-hmm. he wrote this clear back in like two thousand one, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's posted maybe fifteen or twenty chapters of it has he really on his website. Of it? He, he, there was there was a stretch of them that were, um, God I included in again. an anthology, but it's a very different book than the Way of Kings that we got.
3: Mm. Yeah.
1: Some of the characters are the same, but uh, they act very differently. In apparently in the original way of kings, Dalinar kills Elokar.
3: Oh.
1: Um, no shit. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, um, oh, I wouldn't have liked. There were
1: some, but like the the big thing was like the the Kaladin character. His name was Maron at the time. Maron. Yeah. He kills yes, yes. the shard bear at the beginning, and he takes the Shard. Takes the Shard. Oh, yeah. and That's... so he's learning to become a bear and the Swordmaster he learns from is Vasher. Did you just fucking ruin that for her? Why would you no, do no, that? No, no, this is something that happens in Way of Kings. In the original Way of Kings Prime, it was totally yeah, taken out Yeah, but it didn't happen love. in the Way of Kings no. that she's read so, and is going forward with. You jerk, no. what are you doing? So, no, I didn't just ruin no, anything. No, I didn't just, just crazy. ruin anything. This is something that okay. is no longer canon. It did not uh, happen. Well, that's true. It, it was no longer canon. Vasher was originally written in the Way of Kings. And Brandon, huh? during the course of his career, realized the way of Kings is going to need a major rewrite.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. In the meantime, I want to write Vasher's origin story.
3: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay.
1: Fair enough. And that's what the way of, oh, the way of Kings, you
3: what got me Warbreaker saying is?
1: In, in, a, in a
0: stormlight mode. Now what Warbreaker is now is it's, 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 it's a just basically a huge prequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it, it gives a lot more context about Vasher's character and, you know, Nightblood and everything. Um, Speaking of Nightblade's another character I want to, I want oh, to discuss yeah, yeah. at length as well, <laughs> and it's weird to consider you know this sword is a character that I want to talk about. Yeah, uh, but but so but with yeah, Vasher though specifically Talaxin um, Vasher, all the different yeah, freaking Klad, names he has. Kalad Warbreaker,
1: the you know the so so wasn't. we find out at the end of the book that he's a return. Yes, and that Wait. he he has secrets. He you know he he's one secrets. of the five scholars, so obviously he knows a lot more about the magic than most people. Um, but he has secrets and we learn all of the five scholars had secrets from each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Vasher has, there are a couple of things that he does in the story that, and and I'm going into kind of the realmatics of this here. I bet I know what you're going to bring up. uh, He does. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. He does a couple of things that's like, I don't know how this works within this magic system and uh the main one is this ability to use and uh, a command to make people forget things yes yeah okay yeah yeah
3: um
1: he he gonna bring up the does, does the little girl. Yep. talk a little bit about the uh the ability to change his form and at the time that i read this first and and second i was very confused i'm like he's got mm-hmm. some you know magical mechanism that he's using to do this but now knowing what we do about cognitive shadows Uh yeah in the cosmere it makes perfect sense yeah and it it also applies to other cognitive shadows without spoiling anything other cognitive shadows that we've seen in other series now meg i don't know if you're aware of this term cognitive shadow no Okay, so let's, let's
0: dive into it because I'm sure a lot of people who are if they you know that are listening. Yeah. probably haven't really. Heard uh, so a it.
1: cognitive shadow in the cosmere is somebody who uh, usually somebody who used a lot of investiture had a lot of power during their life. Mm-hmm. And what that does when you use a lot of investiture, it, it sort of expands your soul. It opens cracks in your what's called your spirit web. Okay. And so when they die, when everybody dies, they spend a very brief time in what's called the cognitive realm. So there are three realms. There's the physical realm, the cognitive realm, where thinking happens. But there's a whole and you've seen the world realm that is created link. by the thoughts of people in the physical realm. Okay. And then there's the spiritual realm. And then, which is the realm of magic and, and the yeah. shards. And it stuff. has
0: no location yeah. and where all the power originally comes mm-hmm.
2: from. Yeah. So, briefly, when Light Song dies the first character. time... And makes yes. the decision. He, to went come to the back. Okay, he went to the cognitive realm. Okay, that's the cognitive realm. realm. Yes. Okay. Yep. So,
1: yep. so that's what happens. If you're, uh, you know, you get to the cognitive realm when you die, and people who've used a lot of investiture, it's a lot easier for them to become a cognitive shadow. And what what happens there is they basically, in various ways, depending on the the magic system of the world, they co-opt investiture to replace their soul. And anchor mm-hmm. their mind oh, okay. in existence. Otherwise, mm-hmm. most people they go to what's called the beyond, which is something not even the shards can see into, it's the afterlife. Okay. Um, yeah. so but with the returned, as we discover with uh Light Song, he was given the chance. Mm-hmm. Like something or somebody mm-hmm. said, Here, take this. And that's what the divine breath is. That's the investiture okay. that anchors that that cognitive shadow okay. in existence but yeah, we, we know because uh as vasher talks about at the end here the way you perceive yourself is very important mm-hmm. yes and that's something that's very important for all the gods if you noticed during the uh and it's very yes, important throughout the-, the cosmere and so knowing yeah. what we because do what we've seen with other things uh throughout the cosmere like the heralds for instance we know the heralds in the stormlight archive die it's like literally the first scene of the first book yeah. is they die and they talk about how like they they have died in the past and they come back. Mm-hmm. The heralds. Well, I would are,
0: correct you really minorly here. The nine of the heralds lived; only
1: one died. Well, but but Kalak in that point of view in the Way of Kings prologue, he talks about how like this time when we came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they they die over and over yeah. again. Right. It's like um, the eternal. So their die. cognitive shadows as well. Okay. But they always look the same. You know, they're they're always the same people. So we we yeah. have. Across the Cosmere, uh, evidence that builds toward why Vasher can do this, mm-hmm. and it's all about how he perceives himself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vivenna says something about that.
1: You yeah, know, she does, says at the very it's end. you
2: know it's about how you see yourself, and she thinks to herself, yeah. that's. The that's scraggly like, beggar is how you see yeah.
1: yourself. Like, that's
2: yeah, how well, I mean, you if you really notice, the,
0: there is Hope Finder, who, who has the body and, and and personality of a 13-year-old boy, I think yeah. he yeah. was. Yeah, and then all the um, mother is, who's,
2: you know, old and wrinkly. Yeah, and...
0: exactly. It, it all depends on how a person perceives themselves. Their cognitive shadow will influence the physical realm. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's expression in the physical realm, and it will change somebody on how... On how the, it's another reason why, in The Way of Kings... Kaladin, and I'm speaking specifically about the Way of Kings here, Mm -hmm. Kaladin, he has these powers to heal from stormlight, but the scars are still there. And that's because he sees himself as scarred. He sees himself as a slave, or at least as a wretch. And that's why the scars are not healing, because his cognitive shadow still accepts them as part of himself. Well, sorry, sorry, you're right. As soon as, as soon as Drew eyes open wide, there, I was like, wait a second. I realized my mistake. He's not a cognitive shadow. Well, well he's his, not a cognitive, cognitive shadow. self. Right. It interprets yeah. his physical self. I suppose it would be the simplest way to put that. Kaladin's cognitive, <laughs> cognitive shadow. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah, and and then so right. with, uh, but there's there's an added wrinkle to the Nalthian. So Nalthus is the world that the, mm-hmm. the Warbreaker takes place on. There's an added wrinkle to the Nalthian yes. cognitive shadows with the return. Where they have to consume investiture every week in order to stay alive. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, Cognitive Shadows and other places in the Cosmere do not have to do that. Now, no? I, I we, we have a word of brand that the Heralds don't have to, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I think this is a, a result of the Shard in... Warbreaker, the shard on altus which is called endowment. Okay. Endowment. Everything in this world is all well, everything about the magic is about giving. You know, okay. my my breath to you, you know. And my, my, yeah, my breath becomes and yours so and And so it life makes sense yours. that that's how it goes. A, an endowment powered cognitive oh, no. shadow would need endowments right to continue. Although interesting to note,
0: based on the intent of an endowment and giving unto others, it's interesting to note that the the secret method in which Vasher used to kill Arsteel and that he used to kill Denth ultimately was a non-voluntary bestowal of investiture. Yep. He, It was very specifically noted during Vasher's point of view during that scene as well that Denth did not have the opportunity to accept those breaths or not they just float into him he was yep. helpless against them yep. you can force investiture upon somebody else and i thought that was a very very interesting thing to note uh, based on a magic system that's you know revolves around the intent of giving to others instead of you know forcing upon others like Vasher did in that scene mm-hmm
3: yeah, so. so and I,
0: I thought it was pretty cool to reveal finally how he did it. Because as a reader, you're also wondering the entire book. How did Vashter uh, Vashter Jesus. Did, how did Basher kill Arsteel? Yeah. How did yeah. he do that? Denth keeps claiming that he um, is the best swordsman. Uh, the so, two, so you've, you read the annotations, right? Uh, I read. Uh, I'll be honest. I read like one third of the annotations.
1: Okay, so I, I can't remember if this is something that was from a word of Brandon or from the annotations because it's not in the book itself, but Claude the Lifeless mm-hmm, is yeah. Arsteel.
0: Yeah, that's a word of Brandon. I mean, somebody, uh, well, he also brought it up during uh, the annotations as well. Yeah. Be- but um, originally it was confirmed via words of Brandon, I think, back in 2009 or 2010 or something. Yeah, and Meg is just I'm, now noticing I'm that. I'm
2: tracking, I'm tracking now because they say that the lifeless carried, like, some of their skills from life. Yeah, And And, yep, and it's like, he's an amazing swordsman and that there's yeah. something in his eye that she, she sees catches in his eyes. from time some- to time
0: determination that's
2: cool that's what it
0: yes. was yeah
2: it, yes. i'll be
0: honest it took me until i think maybe seven or eight read-throughs before i found that out i was like oh my god i think it was only a couple years ago when i when i hit that moment i was like ah yeah. oh, how did i miss that but it's so going good. back so to my good. original
1: point with vasher is that as meg brought up you know a cognitive shadow the, the cognitive self impacts the appearance and the fact that vasher's Standard appearance is this scraggly, unkempt, like, Mm -hmm. vagabond says something about his character.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it it really tells us that when he talks about, oh, I'm gruff, I'm not good with people, I'm sort of an outcast, he's telling the truth. Mm -hmm. This is what Vasher is. Vasher's a lot of things, but he's
0: honest. You can't, yeah, Yeah. he doesn't play around. He's a very, very honest character, and and his motivations are mysterious but for the most part pure um and you got to love these characters that brandon comes up with especially for this book these these characters that have uh, a sort of uh contradictory personality trait for example you have vasher who's a pacifist with temper control issues can can i just interject real quick sorry go ahead yeah duality Duality. Exil, I wanted to bring this up when you were talking about duality earlier, but I wanted to let you finish your point and I forgot about it until eighteen minutes later or some shit like that. But you have you have Vasher, who has like I said, uh he's a pacifist with temper control issues. You have Light Song, who is a god and doesn't believe in his own religion. And you, you even have uh fucking uh hold on. I had another one for this here. Uh hold on, I said Vasher, I said Light Song. Um, I'm forgetting where I'm going with this.
1: Oh my god. Well, you have Siri, who's the yeah. rebel, who who takes pride in her unimportance and embraces her role as the God King's wife and tries to use it as leverage yeah. throughout oh, the book.
3: Thank
0: you. You just reminded me. And you have the God King of Halandrin, the King of Gods, mm-hmm. who's a prisoner. Mm hmm. Yeah. Who is a child and helpless for all intents and purposes? It's all so there. these, all yeah. of these perfect characters, like I just, uh, I love the fact that he managed to, to throw all of them into one book, yeah. and you got to enjoy so many of them so close together. It was awesome. Well, I even love this book.
2: Vivenna, who hates ostentation and is internally yeah. an extremely ostentatious yeah. person, so vain, so, so vain. vain. Like I she mean, complains yeah. about the gods, and and she's. I mean, at least they're sort of vapid and useless. And
1: she's the one who insists on wearing the dresses. Yeah, <laughs>
2: and and all of that stuff. Just oh, it was it was good.
1: Yeah, I loved. Uh, I also loved.
0: Like like, there's all these little hints that that Brandon had had placed in the in the narrative too that we hadn't picked up on. A few like uh, going back again to Lemix in the first half, mm-hmm. who died and unfortunately had to pass his breath had to pass his breaths onto Vivena And then Dent has that moment where he tells Vivenna, you should have realized he couldn't have died by sickness. And she goes, oh my God, you're right. He couldn't have died. And Dent says, of course, poison was too good for that one. But even as a reader, you're going, oh, uh, for the most part, I'm sure there were some really sharp fans who picked up on it immediately. But I was definitely left going, oh yeah, that's right. How did I not pick up on that right away? Uh, You have the pawn Call, who were ultimately Mm -hmm. behind everything. Again, they seemed so non-threatening. They seem so just vague and faceless. And then it turns out well, these little... They're yeah, friendly, and friendly, especially exactly. the And oppressed. Oppressed is a very specific word I want to focus on, too. But yeah, yeah. Like, at one point, during one of Ciri's baths, Bluefingers even tells her that, like, explains to her how much better the lives of the Pond Call serving girls are here compared to the lives they would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the little hints that Brandon has placed in the book that you just you don't pick up on until those crucial moments very later when it's all revealed yeah um like it's just
1: me yeah yes yes so, so just it. a couple of days ago <laughs> meg texted me a meme that was like normal authors with foreshadowing and you know it's like the guy sprinkling the salt and then okay, yeah, Brandon yeah. Sanderson, it's a guy like like a backhoe just <laughs> like filling in a giant pit <laughs> and then but then at the very bottom of it the whole caption was and yet, we still miss all of his twists. Yes, yeah, like, we do.
0: I've yeah. I started to catch up on a few of them, but yeah, just yeah, yeah. because I've read so many of his books that even now, when for example, Skyward, which is not a, a Cosmere book, I haven't I'm read not, Skyward so, yet. I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not talking about it at all. Okay, it's not a Cosmere okay. book. I haven't read Skyward beyond the preview chapters, but I was just. I'm just saying, like. Starting now, I can I can catch on to a lot of Brandon's twists before mm, they happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the, In the preview chapters alone, I found three or four things I think that are going to happen. Yeah, but yeah. it's just because of what Brandon's done to me. He has hidden so many things from mm-hmm. me and, and, and revealed them to me at the last second that I'd never noticed so many times <laughs> that now I kind of know what to look for in advance. I think Meg's he, dying over here. He's constantly evolving. So, no, Meg, so, get it out. I want to so hear in it. My, Sorry.
2: in my head, after, fin- after I finished it... I just, this metaphor for the book came to my mind. So this, this Warbreaker was for me, the, like, it starts out as the slowest literary strip tease in history. Like, it's just like, (laughs) oh my gosh, just like, it's interesting, but like, you're being so slow and then, and then all of a sudden everything starts coming off and it's like, oh, and now, and now you can't, fireworks. You're like, I don't know I what's I happening. I, what is going on? And then at the very end, he has the audacity to keep his socks on. And, and you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Like, you don't know so many things. And I hate you and I love With, you. Oh, my
1: gosh. That <laughs> is now, the now, what, best. What are,
0: what are the proverbial <laughs> socks in this equation here? What, what moment was it? That, what thing was left out?
2: For me, it's it's yes. Vasher and the five scholars.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, okay. I okay. still,
2: I just, I'm no, no, you have to tell you me see,
0: more. You know what it is for me? It was whatever the hell it was that Trellides knew before he died. How the God Kings pass on their breaths. Breath. No, we, we got that him. reveal. No, we didn't.
1: Yeah, we did. No, we the 10th heightening the God Kings, gives you instinctive
0: command. No, 9th or 8th gives you instinctive. 10 gives you mental. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Back up. It's mental, but that's that what it is. It's the 10th heightening. Was, Dasher says it at
1: the end. Oh, no, I mean, Vasher I mean,
0: says anyone with a ninth height oh no, 8th heightening can break instinctive commands, Ninth heightening can do something, but I want to know what it was that Trelides
1: died without revealing. No, it was that. It was the 10th heightening. Vasher no. says it right here, I have it. The 10th heightening allows a man to command mentally without speaking, but it can take months of training to learn how to do that, even if yes. you have someone to teach you. I think his priests must know how, so they can transfer that wealth of breath from one king to another, but I doubt they've
0: trained him yet. But during the annotations, Brandon specifically apologizes for leaving this information out oh. of the book. How the priests know, or how the priests actually managed to transfer that breath from one host to another, I, he apologizes I think Brandon for forgot that there he put this line There must be something else. Uh, maybe that's that could very well be the case. Because the now right that you here. bring it up, now that you bring it up with Vasher saying, "I think his priests know how to do this," I hadn't read that before. I hadn't considered that before. That makes a lot of sense to me but what is like i still think there's something that trellides knew that he died without passing well that, maybe it's a language that skill felt the need for maybe it's because it
2: because vasher talks about how you have to be able to articulate exactly what you want it to do so maybe because the priests still kind of think that he's a bit of a child that he doesn't have the language and the mental capacity to articulate his commands, even if they are mental. Uh, I don't he, know.
1: He already has the eighth heightening, which gives instinctive command too, though, so...
0: I think this uh, got answered. I think this, got answered. I think this got answered,
1: and Brandon just forgot about it if he said it in the annotations. you want
0: me to get the the annotations They're right behind me here on the e-reader? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> he just... I
1: think he got it wrong in the annotations there. I think he okay. by the we'll, time we'll he got look, around to writing that, it. it was so far after the book that he forgot to yeah, put it in there. We, we
0: still have more of a podcast to go through, so we'll shelve that for now. We'll come back to it at another time. One thing... Um, yeah, yeah. One thing have, that I
2: do want to say about Vasher is yes? that I think that he is really invested in other people being honest and I think that's why he treats Vavena and the servant girl the way he does because he just he throws out night blood yeah. and he just watches what people do yeah. because he's pretty certain that everyone is a really shitty person and is <laughs> going to kill themselves yeah. and everyone else. But he does it to them too and they're the only two people who vomit. Yeah. yeah. Like, even yeah. he himself doesn't, he, he's not repulsed by Nightblood. They're the only two characters. On. The
0: two the two being Vivenna and the Serving, and girl. The serving girl. And the Serving yeah, Girl. Yeah. But okay. he
2: doesn't, it, and it's experimental. Like, it's a little sick. Because... He does. Actually, oh, yeah. again,
0: Brandon brought this up in the annotations. Vasher has a test. He actually has, yeah. like, a, a test that he, he, that he applies to people, and it's with Nightblood. Oh, he man, there's him. something I want to say that I can't right now. Uh, is it because of future spoilers? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what it is. I know what it is. Um, oh man. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> Matt, anyway, anyway. Please read anyway. the rest of the Stormlight, so we could.
1: Yeah, we're we're not yes. we're not going to talk anyway. about this, but but uh, it, it, we can it's, still talk about it, Nightblood in this know, book, though. Yes, and so Vasher has this test, and he sees it as like kind of how he judges people, mm-hmm. but that's a really reductive and possibly flawed. Like, just <laughs> because somebody isn't inherently, like, greedy or violent mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're a good person. Mm-hmm. Like- and so- something
0: I didn't know until this read-through, there are ways around that test. Well, Denth gets around it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, that's because of Denth's familiarity yeah. with Nightblood. Uh, the, very important to note about Nightblood. His his whole personality was imprinted at the time of his inception. Mm-hmm. Just the first few hours of his life. Uh-huh. Is how he re- is how he goes forward for the rest of his life. He remembers yes. Shashara, his creator. You know, Vasher's wife, mm-hmm. Denth's sister. He remembers her as being alive. He remembers Denth liking him and being fond of him. Varatrelides is what, what that was his name. As one of the five scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, Nightblood's whole personality was formed just during those few first hours of his, of his life. Um, I forget where I was going with that, but I'm sure that had something to do with the conversation.
2: I, well, the... I don't
0: know where
1: you were the... going with that.
0: Well, it's the... okay.
2: maybe other than his first impressions of life, that's all he has to judge people. So that's yeah, the way like, around the test.
0: That's how nightblood works those who who see themselves as as evil will eventually kill themselves with nightblood um those who don't see themselves as evil of course are going to be revolted by him they're going to they're going to throw up they're going to be they're going to be nauseated but vasher is able even though he's a good person at heart he's able to get around that nightblood doesn't make him nauseous that's because of his long familiarity with nightblood and uh because he doesn't see himself as evil, but m- also mostly just, uh, shit, I have a note about it here. I'm gonna keep my notes open because I keep closing this phone. So I, I will
1: say we're, we're getting pretty close to an hour here. Yeah, we are. Uh, we still need to do the final draft, but uh, yes. I, I think we should
0: probably, probably try to find
1: some final thoughts, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, Nightblood can find oh, also the fact that Nightblood can find Vasher. He yes. he can actually direct Siri, uh, Siri, Jesus Christ, he can direct Vivenna to Vasher based uh, on, on his location, and it's because he has ingested Vasher's breaths in the past. Yeah, they have a bond. They have a bond. And
1: as we know from other Cosmere works, bonds are mm-hmm. very important in the Cosmere. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that's, that was a final thought, at least,
0: about Nightblood that I wanted to get out of the way. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, going forward.
1: Yeah, uh, Meg, so what did you think of War, Warbreaker
2: Yeah, this a is a first so, read for
1: you.
0: That's so right. I've
2: obviously provided my... Metaphor, but um, <laughs> but as a whole, I really loved it. Um, I I I like lo- I loved the conclusion. I loved the development of the characters and how carefully written everyone was. Even a character that doesn't seem very interesting, like Blue Fingers, um, that was really captivating for me. The energy of the end was really great. I think I tore through the last half of the book in. Maybe an eighth of the time it took me to read the first half. Um, no shit. Yeah, it was... I couldn't put it down. Um,
1: <laughs> Sanderson Avalanche.
2: Yep. But yeah. I think the... the For me, the best moment of the end and what I leave the book with is the, the clarity that Light Song finds. And I know we didn't really talk about mm. him as a character oh, very God, much. Oh, God,
0: I wanted to talk about Light Song.
2: But But his... His moment where he understands the purpose of his second life and that badass awesome scene when Susceptor yes. reaches out and lights and's like i got you man you are yep. my you are my dude and i got, and and <laughs> i am going to save everybody and with he this. smiles too that yeah, it was a ge- smile of his it was just it was amazing that yeah. transformation is i think characteristic of the whole book where everybody at the end finds their purpose and is able to fulfill it in such an awesome way. And that is that is why I loved reading this book. And can I have awesome. one
1: thing with that? Yeah. I'd like to as well. L'Armar is like the most adorably pure brother. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The way yeah, the way he's holding his brother's head at the end there and they're, yeah. they're talking the about book, in
3: He's so Sorry, patient
1: yeah. with Light Song. Yeah. He's like... The whole time, like, like view it from Lalarimar's point of view. You know, it's like, your brother got turned into a god, and he's being a douche about it. Yeah. And you're just like...
2: Every day. Oh. Every day. But he's day. so
1: patient, and so <laughs> loving, yeah. and just, and so pure-hearted, like, I'm gonna guide you i'm gonna yep. help you however i can and, the, and he yeah. finally at the end he snaps and he just <laughs> screams at light song yeah. he's like come yeah. on get your circle. head out of your ass like <laughs> you're <laughs> killing me
0: here, and they're... the the whole circle about Light Song's character that's revealed in that specific scene as yes. well. Like Lelara tells him, "You were a scribe. You were not anything important. You were not a detective. You were not a cop. You were not. And you were a scribe for an accountant. You're an accountant for <laughs> a. You were not important. Okay, stop chasing this fantasy. But Light Song still has that like." Like, like that moment oh. where he begins that last scene of his that meg yes. you were just talking yes. about the last final scene of light songs where he and i want to point out that whole circle that he comes in just during that scene where well not circle it's a 180 technically it's half of a circle where he starts off that scene with in light song's last scene i am nothing mm-hmm. i yeah. can't do anything i'm helpless and by the very end of that scene when light song realizes he can help the yeah. god king and he came back for this reason and he remembers his past he says Oh yeah, and I forget the actual quote, but oh my God, I am a god. That is yeah, the I quote.
1: He god. says, "I
0: am a god." I am a god, and he go. He he has that realization, but Lelerrmar all the way through. This
1: poor
0: guy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, but he also explains in that scene, though, like you even get a whole circle on, on Lelerrmar there, how he was originally a priest in the palace of, I think it was Kind Wins the Honest mm-hmm. and yes. how we saw how much just political nightmare was happening in there and how Kind Wins was just manipulating people and was terrible to people um, and chasing his own selfish ends. And then how Light saw, well, back then as he was known, we find out his name was uh, Stenimar, how he mm-hmm. sacrificed himself for his niece to save his mm-hmm. niece's life, his favorite niece. And at the very end, when as is, is looking upon light songs gray lifeless body if mm-hmm. again if you look pardon the expression that i throw in there uh when she's looking at him she says he promised me that i couldn't rely on him
3: mm-hmm.
0: and even in that and even in lied. that he was lying mm-hmm. you know and 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 Stendemar is left holding his his brother's you know corpse second corpse and he says the funny thing about light song is he actually did that twice yeah you know the most incredible part about it I wanted I wanted to respect I want to just pay my final respects to Light Song as a character what a badass
2: yeah well, what I, a I, badass I think it was particularly painful because he's just watched Blush Weaver get her throat oh, cut Oh
0: god Blush Weaver there's a couple little points about Blush Weaver I'd want to talk yeah. about uh, but but, but yeah. for
2: Light Song in the context of his character there is a woman that he cares about and he couldn't save her
0: Yeah that's when and of course because up to this point Light Song had been taking everything as a game. Yeah. And you can't really blame him because look at the lifestyle he's been leading for right. the past 5 or 6 years since his return. I mean, he's he's a god, you know. Nothing is nothing is important to him, nothing matters. And that's the moment I think Brandon needed to throw in there to yeah. show Light Song was like, "Hey, that, those games you were playing are not involved here. You mm-hmm. are no longer playing a game." I hated that Blush Weaver died. Yeah. oh my god i hated it it was such an unexpected moment too like you, you were expecting the priests maybe to threaten yeah. her first mm-hmm. and wait you know and then for Song to call their bluff and maybe if he calls their bluff she dies but you don't expect that you know like she just starts struggling Song smiles over how much trouble she's giving them as oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was and a... suddenly suddenly she's gone yeah. and in that moment you are just as shocked as Light Song is. Mm-hmm. And and I guess in that moment, you're also that much more in his head. So as a narrative tool, maybe that was pretty intelligent of Brandon to use. But I was just so sad about it because I liked Blush Weaver. I honestly liked her as a character. You saw how, she was how honest she was. That moment she had when she was talking to Siri... Mm-hmm. and she was warning her away from Song, yeah, saying yeah. i'm on to you even though she was wrong you still feel what she's trying to do there i'm on to you you're full of secrets and tricks Song is one of the only good people we have left in this court do not corrupt him mm-hmm. and then of course as she leaves she has her epic one-liner you know find somebody else's
1: bed to crawl into you little slut
3: yeah, and yeah. I was like, Whoa,
0: um,
1: damn and so so for for my final thought though i kind of want to go a little more meta here and that's okay uh, the two Sanderson books we've done so far for this podcast are Elantris and Warbreaker. Is that the, all we've done? Oh yeah. The two episodes. standalones. Standalones I put in quotes. Yeah. Uh thus far standalones. But they're two books that came out relatively early in his career. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, I read Elantris uh, just after it was announced that Brandon Sanderson was gonna finish the Wheel of Time. So clear back in what, like two thousand seven.
3: And
0: December of 07, I think Yeah, December
1: of yeah, 07. And then I uh, I read Warbreaker, you know, like the day it came out in 2009.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I read Elantris one more time and Warbreaker one more time. And those were not so much critical readings. And Sure. And, and when I think about the first time I read them, you know, 07 and 09, I was... A junior in high school and a freshman in college i was uh hold on
0: oh seven you were a junior in high school
1: and oh nine you were december a freshman of, of college. Uh well december of 07, then i guess i would have been a senior in high school okay but i was in high school and just into college okay and i really started taking my writing seriously around my sophomore year of college so mm-hmm. 2009 right. 2010 And that was after I had read these books. Hmm. I wasn't really reading critically. I was reading for fun. Okay. And rereading these books now. I have such a greater appreciation for what Brandon Sanderson did in these two books specifically. Because they're more than any other series he's done. They're all about the characters. Mm. You know, you get Mistborn and you get Stormlight and you get White Sand. White Sand to a little lesser of an extent. but like There are big stakes, world-ending cataclysms, mm-hmm. huge armies and battles and action sequences and magic. These two books are much quieter. It's about yeah. the internal the character person. growth more yes. than anything else. Mm-hmm. In Stormlight, it's, of course, about the character growth, but it's also about saving the world, you know? This is, like, you know, sure, it has some, like, stakes, but the stakes are removed. You don't feel the import of, like, what this war will mean until you get to those last pages where it's like, oh, well, if this happens, you know, all these other kingdoms are getting involved and it's going to be horrible right. and all stuff, but, but we don't have world-ending cataclysms looming over us. Yes. In Elantris and and Warbreaker. It's very political. It's, <laughs> I thought it, my
0: glasses around my face. Sorry, go ahead.
1: And, and so the stakes are all about the characters here. And in these two readings for the podcast, I have come to appreciate so much more the characters in these two books and what Brandon did, developing them, changing them. And not just that... Mm-hmm connecting them to his readers, making them people that we yes. can view ourselves as mm-hmm. stepping into their shoes and wondering who do I relate to the most? What would I do in these situations? And then reflecting that upon ourselves and saying, like, wow, I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. have been as good a person as, you know, Vivenna in that situation. Or I wouldn't I wouldn't have had the strength of Brathen. In a to make yes. this decision. The yeah. things like that. <clears throat> I've long in you know, in the, the Facebook groups and on the forums, 17th Shard and Read and Find Out and Tor.com and all these places. I talk about Brandon as being a world builder. He's all about the magic. He yes. does that so so well. But I never talked about his characters. I'm gonna have to start changing that. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Harkening back to Drew's uh, earlier point about duality in this podcast, um, <laughs> specifically applying to Warbreaker, I do want to point out that as at this point, now that we've finished Warbreaker, the book still, and, I, and it specifically focusing on the epilogue, it, how it kind of feels to me a little bit tacked on, um, it feels unfinished. And you can definitely tell going forward that this is actually the first half of two books mm-hmm. um for those who aren't aware up to this point warbreaker is the first of two books It's actually a duology then the second one is tentatively titled nightblood the first of course the one that we read during this podcast is available for free on brandon sanderson's website you can go and read it there at your leisure um i think you can also download it too but i don't quote mm-hmm. me on that one yeah yeah no um, it's
1: you get like the word document and you can turn yeah. it into a pdf and then into a awesome. you know a moby or a your, or whatever for your, your e reader
0: reader of choice awesome um, so, yeah, that's that's there for those who want to check this out. Um, but, again, just, just, just as a closing thought here, a lot of us readers, we get away... Like, I like to read fantasy because it's kind of like an escape into another world, into another life. And Drew had just uh, brought up that when you have characters like this, when you have a more personal... Uh, intimate story about the, the actual changes of the character themselves. You don't have as much spectacle, maybe, or as much magic and as wonder, or as many revelations, but when the story is about the characters, you're that much more invested in it yourself, and it's that much easier to escape to this other world when the door is is mm-hmm. shaped like you are, I guess. It, it, which is like the, a terrible phrase <laughs> I want to use, I suppose. But it's just... Warbreaker is a book that I can... and. I guess, kind of going meta meta here. This is the book that Brandon Sanderson wrote after or just after he got married. He was on his honeymoon in Hawaii, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, I think where he got a lot of the inspiration for, our, like, you know, the colors, the tropical mm-hmm. setting, and stuff like that. Um, and you can, and a lot of that definitely uh, bleeds through in his writing here. But I think this is like Warbreaker, and especially Warbreaker's sequel is one of the books I've been waiting for. The longest out of all of Brandon Sanderson's books, and it kind of sucks knowing (laughs) that he still isn't gonna publish it for a while. So, what happens? What? Oh no,
1: don't tell me. On the Skyward tour, Brandon was asked about Nightblood, and he (sighs) said, Of all of his planned books, Nightblood and the Threnody novel are the two in most jeopardy of not ever happening.
3: Uh, no. What? That was even worse than I thought. Sorry I to end say. the podcast on this note,
0: guys. Well, we're not ending the podcast. We still have the final draft, but hold on a second. Let me back up there, Drew. Okay, Can we at Andrew least get a McCaffrey? Short
2: story?
0: All right, listen. What? I All this time going through the state of Sanderson again and again. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Next year, it'll be 19. I've been waiting for more news about Nightblood, and it sucks hearing that it's so far off. This... Hearing this makes me go,
1: (laughs) that sucks. Uh, Yeah, I really want. I really want Nightblood. I really want. I'm holding out hope that we get it, but that is the most recent word of Brandon, and and I'm sure we'll find out more in the state of Sanderson, uh, uh, 2018, which will be coming out for us next Wednesday. By the time you're all listening to this, it'll be you know old news. Yeah,
0: it'll be old news. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so that's
0: basically uh, final closing thoughts on Warbreaker that I wanted to bring up, I suppose. Yeah. I can yeah. bring up my others during greater Cosmere-wide conversations. We can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, closing thoughts, Meg?
2: Um, well, just thank you for letting me join. Um, it was a really oh, lovely awesome. read. Um, yeah. I'm 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 so excited to be getting into the Cosmere in general, and I, I have a very specific reading list and reading order. but. Um, Thanks, it, Drew. It's yeah. It's it's just Cheers. it's just been really lovely. And get I did not read The Wheel of Time. I've heard bits and pieces of it, but so this is my first ever really uh, sampling of Brandon Sanderson, and just discovering him as a as an author has been uh, amazing. I'm you know I'm sort of I'm a, I'm a Tolkien person. I'm a Terry Pratchett person. I so so that's well, kind of the my right background company, then. That's, coming that's, into for him. Sure. Um, but I just found him. Uh, a, a lovely artist, actually, you know, a real artist as a writer. Um, and I'm really sweet. looking forward to reading all all of the other things I think next this words of radiance.
0: awesome sweet. yeah, well, thank you very much, Megan. And anytime that you've read the source material or want to read the source material, I would love to have you on. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So shall so we yeah, move into the final it. draft then
0: Let's begin the final draft. I'm gonna disappoint you specifically here, drew. Uh, oh boy yeah, let's go on.
1: We'll kick it off,
0: Rob. Oh, I'll, I'll kick it off then, since mine is at least uh, interesting. I didn't get an interesting or witty beer today. I haven't actually had a chance to run to the grocery store or anything. During this podcast, I have had an undue amount of simple rum and coke. <laughs> <laughs> I've had, to, to be specific, I've I've had Coca Cola and Captain Morgan's white rum. Well, I'll say, a I'll say more this. Than at least least. Have. I've been slurring a little bit. I've noticed here and there. Sorry, go ahead. I'll say this at least. You know, rum is tropical. It you is. Know. It's a very tropical. You know, no. we just read Warbreaker. Coconuts that are on the bottle are fruit.
1: Yes, go ahead You know, we just read Warbreaker. I I bet yeah. people in in Tertelier are drinking rum. You know? you know,
0: the entire the entire setting of Haljan is all based around decadence and, there you and go. just you know exploring and, and having fun. You know, I am really glad I'm not a return right now because I wouldn't be able to feel any of the effects from this.
1: <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So yeah, for great. mine. That's what I've been what I've been drinking. Go ahead.
1: I stopped at my uh, local bottle shop. That is uh, uh, a personal favorite of mine. They've treated me very well. It's called Fish's Liquor in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you're ever passing Fish's through Liquor. Fort Collins, stop there. They have a great craft beer selection, and they are excellent with customer service. Anyway, each year apparently they buy a whiskey barrel, and they donate it to a local brewery, and they collaborate on, you know, uh, aging, brewing, and aging a beer. Sweet. This year's release was with Horse and Dragon Brewing Company from Fort Collins, Ooh. Colorado, and it is a bourbon barrel-aged dark chocolate stout. It it drinks more <laughs> like a porter. It's it's a little thin for a stout, but it is very bourbony. It's very tasty. It is called Next Phase. And I thought this was Next appropriate phase. for this book because as <laughs> Rob was saying, this book ends very much like a setup for the second half of the duology does, all of these it? characters are entering into the next phase of their lives siri mm-hmm. yes. has finally found her comfort zone as the god king's wife as the vessel so to speak though she mm-hmm. as we find out will never be a vessel for anything um <laughs> uh Vivena has entered into the next phase of her life as Vivenna, the awakener you know, yes. uh, White Song has moved onto the next phase of
3: existence <laughs> into the beyond. I
1: and uh, Yeah, so I thought that was thematically appropriate.
0: You like your chocolate stouts, don't you? I think that's the third one you've brought onto this podcast. If I'm Oh, barrel aged stouts, you.
1: You, you, you can't go wrong. <laughs> most of the yeah. best beers in the world. I, I'm probably gonna piss off a lot of people when I say this. Most of the best beers in the world are either sours or barrel aged stouts.
0: Interesting. So, I'll uh, have to check yeah, all the you IPA fans out right? there,
1: there are some very good IPAs, but that style is so ridiculously overdone in America right now, <laughs> I am burned out. <laughs> yeah, me too.
0: Even I'm starting to get sick of IPAs, and I don't know beer
1: for s***. <laughs> <shit>. oh.
3: <laughs>
1: Sorry. Yeah, no, when you come down to Four Columns, I will open yeah. your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sweet. Sweet. Right. But yeah, so I think that uh, that's more or less a wrap. Meg declined.
2: I, I declined. I... To... No, that's
1: good.
0: I have, eaten, have,
2: and a drunk Meg on your podcast would not have gone well.
0: <laughs> we have we have first impressions from Meg, who's read Warbreaker for the first time, and we have a sober hand steering the wheel. So I like this. I like this format. Maybe we go forward with this exact format. Ooh, I don't know um, about that. Yes. Uh, so from here on out, uh, I think that's about it for our Warbreaker discussion. Yes. Um, this has been the Inking Out Loud podcast episode I eight. Eight. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Eight episodes we've recorded now.
1: And um, episode nine, we will resume with the Rune Lords. We will be diving yeah, back into will. book three, The wi- uh, Wizardborn.
0: And I've already got a head start on that one, by the way, Drew. So, oh, uh, very I'm nice. Like, I'm almost halfway through already, so we should be good. Awesome.
1: Yeah, so uh, a week from now, we should have uh, a deep dive back into David Farland's Rune Lords world. But Sweet. for now, we're, we're uh, taking another break from the Cosmere. And mm-hmm. thank you all, as usual, for joining us
0: thank you as guys we so talk about Warbreaker. Thank you. Right. Bye bye, everybody.
2: Bye.